Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40, is page, on page 1072 on the visitors' Bibles. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the, cons- the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Thanks, Ruth. And do keep your uh, Bibles open there at Luke. And we're going to be looking at a few passages tonight. Um, yeah, getting stuck in and, and reading them for ourselves. And so if you, don't, if you don't have a Bible to look on with at the moment, uh, then can I encourage you uh, either share with the person next to you or go and grab one from the foyer uh, and look on as we uh, look at these passages tonight. Well, it is uh, the last day of 2017, as Sean mentioned, symbolic of another year kind of passing, and it's often a time when we look back and reflect a bit, uh, when we look forward to the year ahead. They were talking about New Year's resolutions on the radio the other day. It's pretty easy to to be cynical about them. Uh, We've all heard how much people say they don't work. But... But do you kind of get drawn into that? Is this a time when you do have a sense of hope about change and and new things coming, a new approach, uh, something that you've wanted to do for some time? Or are you kind of a bit more on the other end of the spectrum where you've feels like you've seen uh, the years come and go 
Nothing seems to change, so there's no point looking forward, no point looking for change. What does this time do for you? How how does it make you feel? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and uh, promote New Year's resolutions today, per se. I do want to say that actually looking back and looking forward are key parts of the Christian life. In fact, I think it would be really hard to stay a Christian if you weren't continually, not just once a year, but continually looking back and looking forward. And hopefully uh, you'll see what I mean as we go along today. Because in that passage that Ruth just read for us, I really think that we see someone here who's a shining example of doing that continually, looking back and so looking forward. Someone not just waiting around twiddling their thumbs, but waiting in an active sense. When I was thinking about waiting, it, it tends to be something that you think of as passive, isn't it? It's something that you do when you're not doing anything else. You're just waiting. But as I reflected a bit more, I realised that if you just treat it as that, if you leave it as that kind of passive thing, then you're actually going to end up not doing it for all that long. You're going to get bored or drift off or fall asleep, like I probably would, uh, looking for something else to do maybe, rather than actually continuing to wait and look forward. As it's uh, fun at our house when we have uh, friends coming over. Uh, the kids love it. Oh, are we going to have someone for lunch today? Um, but uh, someone in particular that my daughters uh, love to have over is our dear friend, Alyssa. Uh, in fact, our daughter, Cara, uh, her second name is named after Alyssa. She's Cara Alyssa Brooks. Uh, and on one particular occasion, uh, when she was waiting for this special someone to come, for Alyssa to come, she was out on the driveway and, and, and in fact, sitting on the letterbox. Not just kind of a, a step up kind of letterbox, uh, that you can get onto, but it was like one with, it's, you know, one with a metal pole going down and then it's just got the squarish kind of thing sitting on top. I'm not quite sure how she got up there, but she got up there and she was sitting on the letterbox, look, looking out for Alyssa's car to come. You see, if you want to continue to wait like that, continue to, to look forward, then you need to be actually doing something. You need to be looking back as a Christian to see and know what you're looking forward for, to hold on to the promise that keeps you looking forward. And we'll hopefully see that as we look at these passages today. But as we come to Luke, and in fact we've been in Luke at the last uh, little while, uh, as we continue in Luke, there's something that I want us to notice uh, over these early few chapters. There's something in the air, you see. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before, there is an outline uh, of where we're heading tonight, and uh, you might have got one of those on the way in. Um, but there's an air of fulfilment here. You see, there's lots of fulfilment-related words and ideas and things going on in these first two chapters. Just come with me uh, back to the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. As Luke kicks, kicks things off here, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have, notice, been fulfilled amongst us. First, first verse, Luke says, This is an account of the things that have been Fulfilled, things that have been spoken about beforehand and have now been fulfilled. 
And you really get that sense in this first few chapters as well, don't you? You see again and again the words of angels about something amazing about to happen, the birth of, of the, the conception of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah in their old age, uh, the, the conception of a baby in Mary's womb as a virgin. Uh, these things are spoken of and then happen. This fulfilment is in the air. Uh, even some of the words that talk about the timing of what's going on here. Uh, the phrases about, about time use, use, you can't see it in the English, but they actually use the kind of same Greek word of fulfillment. So if you look, uh, come with me back to chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, when the time well, actually, it's what it's saying it, there is when the eight days were fulfilled for Jesus' circumcision. Um, or down in verse 22, when the time came for their purif- purification rites, when the time for their purification was fulfilled. This is fulfillment language all here. That's what's in the air. And so then you come to verse 25. A devout man righteous and devout, called Simeon, who was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the fulfilment. How did he know to wait? We we do see here in verse uh, 26, it's been revealed to him in a special way by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. But in a more general sense, he was waiting because he been looking back because he knew the promises of God. He was looking forward with hope because he'd been looking back at those promises. And that's actually why for Christians, for us in the Christian life, looking back and looking forward is so fundamental, so essential. Now I find find it pretty exciting uh, when I see the links in Scripture, different parts of the Bible coming together and and seeing the way that God weaves these things. And so tonight, rather than just um, me tell you about some of the things that have been said in the past, we're actually going to go and and look at those passages. Uh, So in a sec I'm going to get, I'll tell you in a sec, um, I'm going to get Simon over here to read uh, from Isaiah chapter 40 for us. And we'll look at a few passages. In one sense, we're not actually doing anything particularly special uh, in the, these passages that we go to and look at them. But if you've got like a, a, a reference Bible, uh, something whoop, uh, something that's got like uh, cross-references in it or a concordance, then you can do the same thing yourself as you're reading through the Bible and you, you notice an idea that looks significant and then you trace that back through the Old Testament. That's a wonderful thing to do when you've got a little bit more time, say, in the summer holidays. Now, um, do turn up Isaiah chapter 40. And I'll just before Simon comes and reads, I'll just uh, give you a little bit of background because we're kind of dipping in uh, in the middle of the book here. So Isaiah chapter 40, if you, if you thumb your way back from Luke you kind of uh, go through you know, a number of little Old Testament prophets and things, but the big ones you'll see are Ezekiel, you know you're on the right track, keep going, Jeremiah, and then you'll get to Isaiah. That's kind of easiest way probably to find it. So Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and there's a bit of a break in the book at this point. Um, the first section of Isaiah, 1 to 39, uh, fits together and, and 40 uh, comes with a bit of a new section. But the big theme earlier is judgment upon faith, faithless Israel. 
There's some hints, some small hints along the way of hope or rescue, uh, but really judgment is, is the big heavy theme. Uh, and in fact, things kind of end uh, in 36 to 39 with, with the Assyrians, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, coming down and wiping out the northern kingdom, Israel, and surrounding Jerusalem with his armies. Now, in God's kindness, Hezekiah, who's the king of Judah, gets delivered at that point, and you kind of see that there in verse uh, 30, uh, in chapter 37, uh, where, where Hezekiah goes and prays and God brings deliverance. But there's still this impending note of disaster coming as Hezekiah entertains these, these envoys from Babylon and what's going to come. And so, yeah, that's kind of where things leave off at the end of chapter 39. And we come here now to chapter 40. So, Simon, come and read for us. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5, which is on page 754, if you've got a nice red Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I'm going to have a little bit of interaction here, uh, but just to warm you guys up, maybe with the person next to you, having that in front of you, what are some of the things that you notice briefly? If there's anything that you notice that it's here, but you've kind of heard in the back of your mind from Luke chapter 2, just take 20 seconds or something. Okay, we'll uh, come back together. It's great to hear, um, hear some conversations. What is, uh, I had someone comment this morning... Um, I didn't know that God was in the business of earth moving, you know, you know, making hills low and making. Um, but uh, on a serious note, yeah, what what are some things that you noticed, or any things that were are both here and and back in in Luke? Hard service has been completed. Yeah, anything. It's it's interesting what thinking about that. What is the what is the hard service? I suppose that's going on there. Well, well in the context of Isaiah, it's. It's, that, it's the judgment on, on sin that she's been under, isn't it? The judgment from God. And so you get that note of, of comfort. Yeah? What else? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, that it, it's, it certainly comes in with God being seen. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Uh, there's that connection there. Yeah? Yeah, Maddie? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and in, that, uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, we kind of read about how this, this glory, Luke 2.32, um, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. This, this sense of glory coming. Yep. The comfort there as well is, is significant, isn't it? That consolation is what, is what Simeon is looking for, the consolation of Israel. And here, seeing God is speaking comfort to his people. It's, it's great. Like it's cool seeing that, that that comfort is that sin is dealt with, that sin is paid for, that judgment is no longer, that they're no longer facing or under that judgment with this hope. Yeah, there's, um, as we read on, we didn't read verse 11, but 
kind of notice the highway there. Um, the highway in, in chapter, in verse four. Every valley we raised up, every mountain and hill made low. And it seems like God himself is coming on this highway. But, but who is he bringing? Is he just coming by himself? Oh no, he's bringing his people. Look over in verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And then down verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He's, he's bringing his people back from exile. He's redeeming them in the language of Luke 2, what Anna is, is talking about, the redemption of Jerusalem. Now let's uh, have a look at another little passage. Just if you turn a page or two over uh, to Isaiah chapter 42 and this uh, note of the light really stands out here. Uh, in, in, in chapter 42, the Lord is talking to his servant, this one who is going to come and do his work, do this work that he's bringing. Um, and in verses 1 to 4, we get a strong sense of justice, judgment that he's bringing. Here is my servant whom I uphold, verse 1, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. There's, there's a real sense of justice which is coming. But it's not just judgment because we see this hint of hope uh, over in verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you, the next sentence, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Remember that from what Simeon said back in Luke chapter 2. A, a covenant, a, a promise for the people, a light for the Gentiles, revealing to those who are in darkness what God is doing. And as he goes on in verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is that universal call of the salvation that, that God is preparing here. That it's not just for my people Israel, as we might have thought back in chapter 40, but it is one that will go to the Gentiles, to the nations. Let's flip over Isaiah 52. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52. This may be a little less read. It's not the kind of more well-known 53 section with the suffering servant. But let's have a look here at Isaiah 52. I'll read a little bit of it and then I'll get you to reflect on or have a little chat about verses 7 to 10. All right, so he starts off, awake, verse 1. Awake, awake, Zion. Zion's just another name for Jerusalem uh, in the kind of fulfilled sense. Um, awake and clothe yourselves with strength. Verse 2, shake off the, your dust, rise up, sit enthroned. There's a, a tone of glory here for Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, though you are now captive. The nation has been oppressed, oppressed down in Egypt in the past, oppressed then by Assyria, and kind of now in the background here is, is in Babylon. They're facing, they're in exile in Babylon. They face the contempt of the nations. But there's this hope for change, this, this sense of something new is going to come. And see how it's kind of announced here in verses 7 to 10. 
How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Just take a moment like we did before, 20 seconds, to talk with the person next to you. What stands out? What do you notice? What are you reminded of from Luke chapter 2? Flip back to Luke chapter 2 and and, and kind of look at both of them um, if you need to. Do that for a minute. Okay, let's uh, come back together. Um, Maybe... Is there, is there someone on this side who'd be happy to share something that they, that they noticed together in their group? It doesn't have to be what you noticed, it can be what the other person in your group noticed. Someone from this side then? Now it could be like the um, person who's not going to answer their own question. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's cool, I, I, can't, I saw that as well. And the thing that, that stuck into or went into my mind is thinking about Simeon. He was a watchman. You know, what did he say when he said, my eyes have seen your salvation, the, the one through whom you're accomplishing your purposes. And here, you know, the watchmen are, are calling out. They will see it with their own eyes when God comes to do this. How cool is that kind of... I, I was excited by that little link there, seeing what was going on. He's not watching or waiting for an army to return or, or, a, or a messenger from the exiles in one sense, but waiting to see the Lord's Messiah. Yeah, what else do you see? What, any other? Anyone else? Thanks, Matt. That was great. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that was, there was verse 9 back in chapter 42 where he mentions that. He says, see, I'm announcing to you the things that are to take place before they happen. That's right. Yeah, God has said this and, and it's coming. The thing about comfort stands out to me as well in verse 9. The Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And then down in verse 10, as I think someone kind of mentioned it before as well, but this idea that God's salvation, he's, he's prepared it in the sight of all nations, which is what, uh, which is what uh, Simeon says back in chapter 2. Uh, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. How cool is it to see those links kind of come together? Read them for yourself. How, you know, how joyful would Simeon have been when he saw the baby Jesus, the one through whom God was going to bring about his plans and purposes, as he held him in his hands. My eyes have seen this. And can just imagine him, you know, maybe not when he's holding the baby, but laughing and singing and dancing, excited about what God has shown him. The, the hopes that he's held on to from the Scriptures have finally come. Now there's one thing, one other one just to mention, we're not going to go and look at Isaiah 8, uh, but this idea of not just, not only the, the restoration idea, but the idea that this one who would come would bring division. This one who would come would be the sanctuary for the faithful Israelite. But for the rest of Israel, 
a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, which you kind of see in what Simeon says to Mary. He says, this child is destined, come back with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 verse 34. This child is destined to call the, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. For everyone, uh, Jesus will bring division. He's the touchstone now, is what God's saying. The touchstone by which we'll all be judged. How you relate to Him is what matters. And by Him, your heart will be revealed. Yours and my heart. And there's more that we could look at. Uh, and you might like to look at uh, some of the passages that I've, uh, extra passages I've noted on the, the outline. But it's wonderful to see how God weaves these things together, that God really is a God who, who He is, He says, and what He says, He'll do. That's kind of a line from a Colin song, we, we, we played that this morning. Uh, but it's a, great, it's a great line about God is a God who doesn't change. Um, he's a God who does what He says He will. And it's, it's really, though, just the beginning of fulfilment that Simeon sees, isn't it? You know, he sees... The how old was Jesus? Eight days. Well, no, it wasn't just eight days because they circumcised him and then the time of purification, so that would have been about another 30 days. Forty days. He sees Jesus at 40 days old. And he's rejoicing. I've seen your salvation. But he's, he's just seen the beginning of it, hasn't he? And for him at that point, that cements him in praise and in peace, happy to die knowing now that he's seen what God is doing. But, it, but it's not all come yet, is it? it you see, God's fulfilment that he brings is like a train, a train that's coming into the station, but not just like, you know, the passenger, eight-carriage passenger trains that go to the city from Richmond. It's more like a, a freight train. Uh, we had lots of freight trains on the, on the western line when I lived at Emu Plains and they'd come past our house and you'd sort of hear them. Broom, 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 and there was... Loads and loads of carriages with the engine up front. And, well, what, what's happened with Simeon is it's like the engine has arrived. The, the front of the train has come in Jesus, but the carriages are still coming now. And the carriages kept coming, and the carriages are even still coming now for us. And so then we are now waiting. Not waiting for the front of the engine, the front of the train, but for the last carriage, for the carriage of Jesus' return. And so, let me ask you, do you find that idea of waiting, waiting for the return of Jesus, hard to keep kind of front and centre in your mind, keeping that eternal perspective in your eyes instead of just the day-to-day busies or the, or the week-to-week things that, that you do? Is it distraction that, that takes you away? Or just the fact that it's, well, it's been so many years and the years come and go that Jesus hasn't returned and waiting is just getting a little long in the tooth. And sometimes 10 weeks of school term can feel like a long time, let alone waiting for Jesus to come back. And, you know, waiting, as we talked about before, it's not really an inspiring thing, a thing that you get excited about. Is it? Yes, you know, Today I'm going to be waiting. Woo! You, so much of the way that we go about life is, is to avoid waiting, isn't it? 
You know, waiting time is wasted time. And I can see, well, even when you're waiting, how you lose eagerness and enthusiasm. But if we come back to that idea that we talked about at the beginning, about looking back and looking forward, this is actually how we might persevere in waiting, keep going, even when it's hard, even when uh, we continue to wait. Looking back to see the promises that God has given and looking forward, holding on to those. So, as we wrap up, as you look to the year ahead, have you thought about the fact that Jesus could return in 2018? We could see the last carriage of the train come into the station. What would it look like for you to be looking forward to Jesus' return this year? Surely it's got to include looking back continually, doesn't it? Looking back to God's Word, seeing, remembering, rehearsing, savouring His promises. Not just His promise that Jesus will come back, but the, but the promises that He gives us for now as well, that He will be transforming us, changing us, making us more and more like Jesus. How has God been doing that in 2017? How will God do that as we look to 2018? His promise to never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13. How has he done that this year? How will he do that in the year to come? Or his promise to build his church, to grow disciples, make disciples as he is with us in that. How has he done that this year? How will he do that in the year ahead? As we come to the end of this year and look back, look back and, and now look forward, let's, let's keep looking back to the, to the promises and the fulfillment that God has brought so that now as we go into 2018, we can look forward with anticipation about what he's going to continue to do amongst us. Amen.